All right, you should have Aura on the phone with us now. Can you hear us? I can kind of hear you just a little bit. Oh, okay. Let me see if I turn up the volume. Is it clear on your end? Uh, we can hear you. Okay. Well, you sound like you're on the bottom of the wall. But you sound a little bit off, too. I am a little off. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's been an interesting week. Yes. So has it been cold and icy over there? Uh, no. I didn't think so. Yeah. But I did install a, a system on a school this week, so that was fun. What do you tell people when they say there can't be global warming when it's so cold? I don't know. I don't know what to tell them. It's just like, well, I mean, the truth is, is climate change, which somehow got renamed, you know, global warming, is still the same weather patterns, except they're more extreme. So... Cold is colder, warm is warmer, wind is windier, etc. Mm. So. Yeah. All right. In the news, Froggy went according. <laughs> Reverend Billy's climate protest heads to trial. Now, last October, the Reverend Billy was arrested for preaching into a megaphone inside a branch of Chase Bank in downtown Manhattan. He'd been accompanied by a gang of golden frogs, the first known species to become extinct as the direct result of climate change. The frog, quote-unquote frog, and the reverend were there to call attention through singing and dancing to Chase Bank's rankings as the largest lender in the world for new coal plant construction. So... The Reverend Billy, an activist and performance artist actually called Bill Talon, is no stranger to arrest. But what happened next was unusual. Instead of the usual order to do community arrest, uh, to, to do community service, um, the district attorney of the city of New York charged Talon and the group's fire director with riot in the second degree menacing in the third degree, unlawful assembly, and two counts of disorderly conduct. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, part of it is the Chase branch manager told the DA's office that he had mistaken the protest for a robbery and that several bank customers and employees were reduced to tears by the experience. The two now risk serving up to a year in prison. And their next court date is February 27th. Um, but in the meantime, the prosecution changes charges and offered a new sentencing recommendation. One day of community service for Talon and six months of not getting arrested for the other guy, the choir director, if both agreed to plead guilty. Hmm. Yeah. Now, that seems okay. They're letting them off easy as long as they plead guilty. But that also means they've pled guilty, so if this happens again... Yeah, then they get out of Each time the charges will be more... Because, I mean, basically they'll have a history of doing this, right? 
Yeah. Well, I wonder about this too. Like they seem to, they, they seem to keep charging people with extreme charges. I wonder if they're actually like having this fear come to them and make them think it actually is a bank robbery, or if they're just trying to be hard. Yeah. I mean, I could say that you're not a very good bank manager if a bunch of people dressed up as frogs. <laughs> Well, actually, that's not true. I mean, you know, people have masks on, period. They could freak, the bank could freak out. Yeah. Well, but, well you got to read the situation, though. I mean, they, uh, you know, from what I understand, they were in there, they were talking about their protests, they were singing about it. I could see that momentary fear of, oh, no, is this a robbery or something, but then they start singing about coal, and, and it's obviously not a robbery at that point. But, I mean, regardless, I mean, if they plead guilty, I mean, they did, you know, trespass and have disorderly conduct because they were disrupting business as usual, right? Yeah, so if they do yeah, plead so guilty, they plead even guilty, if they don't get as many penalties this time, it might affect them. Down. I mean, if they, if they plead guilty, they give him one day of community service. Yeah. I wonder if he gets to sing about the Shapakops for community service. I mean, why are they asking him to plead guilty unless they plan to try to create this ongoing reason to stop him from doing this stuff? Yeah. So. It seems like it's been um, a month of bad issues for the oil and the coal industry. Yeah, they're really there's not having good luck lately. I mean, there's been devastating fires. There's been massive oil spills. Um, it's just been, and I know it. It seems to be all of a sudden too, and I don't understand why. Are they just throwing safety out the window to make a bunch of money? Um, that all of a sudden there's all these. Incidents? Well, that's a good question. Whatever it is, it seems to keep happening. We've got this one. Another day, another river ruined by a big coal industry spell. Coal power industry has dumped a lot of toxic crap into yet another river. The latest incident is not to be confused with the spill of toxic coal cleaning chemicals that poisoned a West Virginia water supply last month and left 300,000 people without drinking water. It's not that one. And it's not the more recent one where a huge coal ash spill from a retired power plant in North Carolina happened. This is a, a new spell, an extra one. Uh, Patriot Coal accidentally left more than 100,000 gallons of coal slurry loose from a coal processing facility in West Virginia. Hey, Patriot Coal accidentally left more than 100,000 gallons. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of what someone has said about other issues. Like if it's something that happens on a regular basis, then at that point it's no longer an accident. I mean, that particular incident is an accident, but when you do something and you know that 5% of the time there's going to be some sort of accident, that's, that's a choice. So yeah, this led to six miles of Fields Creek, which flows into the Kanawha River, being blackened by a slurry spill. Yeah, particles of processed coal, include heavy metals, coal cleaning chemicals, and here's a quote from them. 
When this much coal slurry goes into the stream, it wipes the stream off, said Randy Huffman, head of the West Virginia Department of Environmental Protection. It has significant adverse environmental impacts to Fields Creek and an unknown amount of impact to Kanawha River. But they say it hasn't affected drinking water yet, but water often tends to be connected, so it may eventually. I mean, pollution is an issue all over the place. Explosion at a fracking well sparks fires set to rage for days. Now, this incident took place at the Chevron-operated well in southwestern Pennsylvania. An explosion at a natural gas fracking well in Pennsylvania on Tuesday has sent one person to the hospital, left one person injured, and it sparked a fire that could take days to contain. Now, a statement issued by the well operator Chevron, the fire broke out at approximately 6.45 Tuesday morning at their well in Dunkard Township in Greene County, about 50 miles south of Pittsburgh. Quote, we're being told, the site itself, that the fire will not be contained and we will not have access to the property for at least a few days, end quote. Trooper Stephanie Plum said at a press conference. So, what do you call it? Literally, the authorities are not giving access to the property. I mean, it seems like regardless of whether the fire itself is contained, why aren't the authorities being given access to the place? Yeah, well, it's pretty crazy a fire that burns for days. You know, that's not a good sign. Now, a team from Wild Well Control, a company that specializes in dealing with well blowouts, has been called in to assist with the efforts, and state police have set up a half-mile perimeter as a safety precaution. Responding to the incident on Twitter, some environmental voices said the explosion was further evidence fracking should be banned. The cause of the explosion has not yet been determined. Yeah, I mean, in addition to the safety concerns, there's the fact that if you're claiming cracking is greener, and then every once in a while the well blows up and burns for a few days, that probably cancels out a lot of the supposed greenness of the other wells. Yeah, one one big environmental issue here is uh, Mount Trashmore, which is the dump, and it's actually literally the highest point on the whole island. And... Uh, um, let's see. Wednesday. Was it Wednesday or Thursday? Wednesday, for the second time ever, it caught on fire and they had to evacuate like a third of the island because of the smoke billowing over into Georgetown. Um, that was on Wednesday because, yeah, people, the, the news radio was making a big deal of the fact that the fire was mostly out enough time on Thursday for the 13,000 tourists to get off the five cruise ships into Georgetown so that the economy didn't suffer. Yeah, well, that's the important thing, the economy not suffering. Yeah, but a lot of people were talking about how they got sick and were, you know, borderline puking, and um, I had to drive through that the area of the dump twice to go to the other side of Georgetown to where I was working on the solar school. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was huge. I mean, and it's a big issue here because, of course, um, 
there's well, everybody's producing trash and there's no place to put it and nobody wants a new dump in their backyard kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why the dump is so big is um, a big hurricane hit the island and like three quarters of the property got damaged back in 2008. So there's like tons and tons of construction debris and stuff that doubled the, the dump kind of deal. So, but it's everybody's favorite topic everywhere. All right, well, we've got some more positive stories. We've got stuff about uh, different forms of energy that don't randomly blow up every once in a while. <laughs> this one's about wind. Monster wind farm planned in South Dakota. Well, it blows over Mount Rushmore State. Scores of landowners in South Dakota are banding together in an attempt to build a one-gigawatt wind farm. I kind of wish it was 1.21 gigawatts for the Back to the Future reference. <laughs> But it's a one gigawatt wind farm which would be spread over thousands of acres of farmland. South Dakota is already a leader when it comes to harnessing wind energy. Nearly 500 large turbines spin over the state's windswept landscapes. The collective capacity of 784 megawatts of power. So yeah, so this one project then would, would, would over double that because that's, uh, be a gigawatt. So yeah, with over 80 landowners ready to dedicate nearly 20,000 acres to one of South Dakota's largest wind projects, Dakota Power Community Wind is ready to begin the research phase of the operation. Quote, our board has approved the purchase of a a meteorological tower to kick off the research collection phase, said Paul Schubeck, Dakota Power Community Wind Board Chairman. We need to collect two to three years of data before construction can begin. So that... 20,000 acres of farmland currently signed up for the project are sufficient to support a 300 megawatt wind farm. So they, uh, it would, if that's all they get, that would still be the largest wind farm in South Dakota. But they're going to try to get up to a gigawatt. Olympians to the world, please get serious about climate action. Thanks. What happens at the Winter Olympics about without winter? I've actually been reading a lot about this like what Russia is doing to prepare because um, they said it was going to be unusually warm and the temperature fluctuates. So, I mean, not only did they have a bunch of snow machines to try to make snow, they actually hauled a ton of snow from, you know, colder regions and brought it and then covered it with giant um, insulated blankets with a shiny side up to make it so the snow, you know, wouldn't melt as quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was some of the things they did. But one of the biggest issues is the fact because our planet is warming, the majority of places that have had Winter Olympics in the past will not be able to do Winter Olympics in the future because they'll be too warm. Um, that's actually not in this article here, but let me get into it. Imagine trying to pull off a lot of these, like, cross-country skiers running to a dusty finish line. They're just, the vanishing snow is no joke to Olympic athletes, and they're calling in world leaders to do something to stop the climate catastrophe that could spell doom for winter sports. More than 100 Olympians have signed on to a statement released on Tuesday asking leaders to, quote, 
Recognize climate change by reducing emissions, embracing clean energy, and preparing a commitment to a global agreement at the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change in Paris in 2015, end quote. This statement, called an Olympian's Call for Climate Action, was spearheaded by cross-country skier and three-time Olympian Andy Newhall, who placed 18th in the men's sprint, top among the Americans. Now, its backers come from every winter discipline, and while 85 members of the U.S. team make up the bulk of the signings, representatives of Australia, Canada, Estonia, France, Germany, Italy, Sweden, Switzerland, and the U.K. make a stand, too. I mean, can you imagine? Well, it's, it's a world, an event, that in the future could not have happened at any of the places that it has happened in the past because it will be too warm for it to happen. Yeah, it's a sign of the changing times. It's good that they're talking about it, though, using their celebrity in order to bring attention to the issue. Well, I mean, it is a big, you know, worldwide issue. So... Today is National Have a Heart Day. Mm. Yes, I get that. It's also Race Relations Day. That's a good one. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. We've also got Lupercalia coming up. An exciting holiday. Oh, and the birthday of Susan B. Anthony. Susan B. Anthony Day is coming up on Saturday. Monday is World Human Spirit Day. And Tuesday is the anniversary of the cow milk while flying. I don't understand that one, but I wanted to say it. Yeah, I've heard about that. They actually had a cow up in a plane and they milked it while they were in the air. <laughs> okay. I don't know why. I guess just it's set a record. That, ma- that makes a lot more sense than me imagining the cow flying <laughs> and someone trying to milk it. Yeah. The first cow aviator. Thursday is the UN World Day for Social Justice. The UN comes up with some phenomenal, crazy, long titled, but really good days, huh? Yeah, they do. Just need more people to observe them, I guess. <laughs> we could use more social justice. Alright, we've got coming up at Guy House tonight, we've got Open Mic Night. Tonight at 7pm, Guy House Interfaith Center. Express yourself in a comfortable, coffeehouse style environment. It's 913 South Illinois. Also tonight at the Glove Factory, the 18th annual Love at the Glove, Love Will Tear Us Apart. Join SIU's League of Art and Design for the 18th annual Love at the Glove art exhibit featuring art, music, erotic cakes from area bakeries, and entertainment, including four different acts, including a cabaret show. If you bring a canned good, $2 will be taken off the $5 entry fee. All canned goods will be donated to the Carbon Development Center. Yes. That's always a fun event. Coming up, we also have the Carbondale Community Farmers Market. On Saturday, tomorrow, from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. at Carbondale Community High School. They've got all sorts of good stuff there. It's the indoor winter market. 
The weekly vigil for peace and justice happens every Saturday from noon to 1 p.m. at the town square in Carbondale. Standing up and standing out in December 2001. Sponsored by the Peace Coalition of Southern Illinois and the Fellowship of Reconciliation. All right, coming up on Sunday, the Illinois Prison System Reform and Social Justice. This is a discussion coming up on Sunday from noon to 1.30 p.m. at the Carbondale Unitarian Fellowship, 105 North Parish Lane. Michael Patinsky, Carolyn Ferdinand, and Maureen Pyle will be describing their various prison program experiences with Reading Reduces Recidivism, Summit of Hope, Prisoner Visitation and Support, and John Howard Association. Now, this is a really important topic. We just uh, had Angela Davis come to town to talk about prison issues and social justice. So I'm glad to see the discussion continuing. That's Sunday noon, Carbondale Unitarian Fellowship. The Illinois prison system... Oh, you just did that one. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. The Guy House RSO meeting Mondays, 4 to 5 p.m. at the Guy House Interface Center. This is a great opportunity to meet other students, organize events, and make Guy House an exciting and rewarding place for students. For more information, contact the main Guy House office at 618-549-7387 or email rso at ourguyhouse.org. All right, we're pretty much out of time. I'll do one more quick happening. We'll talk more about it next week. 2014, Margie Parker, Teaching for Peace. Peace. It's coming up on Saturday, next Saturday, February 22nd, at 5 p.m. at the Guion Auditorium to Morris Library on the SIU campus. For this, this year's event, they're going to be showing Beneath the Blindfold, a documentary that follows four individuals as they overcome the lasting effects of torture. Well, that has been another exciting and hopefully informative half hour of your community spirit. Anything else? Nope, I think that's good. It's warming up here a little bit, so we might eventually be almost as warm as you are. <laughs> it's good to talk to everybody. That's good to talk to you, too. All right, well, we will see you again here next week on the radio.